If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 17. We want to look at verses 16 uh, through 21. The teaching is very intriguing to me this morning because we all deal with the philosophies of life. And so we want to look at this topic, the philosophies of man or the wisdom of God. And bottom line, we have a choice. And so Paul had ministered at Thessalonica, we know, uh, for three Sabbath weeks with great success in the Lord. Time of preaching and teaching the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Many came to saving grace, men and women, uh, Jew and Gentile. And then Paul was forced out of the city by irate religious Jews. Paul pushed forward, though. And as he left, he ventured down the road uh, to a town called Berea. Remember the Bereans, they were more noble than those in, in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily. And Paul there preached, and again, uh, souls came uh, to Christ. Not just men, but women also. Not just Jews, but Gentiles also. But then the trials. And then Paul is forced out again. And this time he goes to Athens. And that was the whole preparation. The trials that you go through, God's still going to use you. And so there in Athens, Greece, I can just imagine Paul's heart, Paul's desire. He wants to minister to the, uh, to the elect, those that were into the education, uh, those that were uh, part of the philosophies of man. Paul understood that. He was a very learned man himself, but he comes to saving grace in Acts chapter 9. He's never been the same. But now Paul, filled with the Spirit, God gives him wisdom. And he's going to deal with these philosophers. It was a tough time in Athens. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just read the, uh, the few verses that we're going to cover, and then I'm going to be making some commentary. And so Acts chapter 17, verses 16 now uh, through 21. The philosophers at Athens, Greece. That's the uh, caption in my Bible. He begins here in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was given over uh, to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue uh, with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, not only in the synagogue, but in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. And then he mentions just two groups of philosophers, uh, then certain Epicureans and Stoics, Philosophers encountered him, and, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be uh, proclaiming foreign gods. Notice that it's a small g. Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They did not understand. In verse 19, and they took him and they brought him uh, to the Erechobos, uh, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange thing to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. And so there would be some there that would be sincere. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. I think that's our society today. It's not about religion. We don't want to hear about God. We believe everything is God. These were the philosophies at the time, philosophies of today. 
and you bring up the gospel message and, and you're not politically correct. And maybe we're not cast out of cities, but we become castaways. And so this is what we're facing today. Paul went to Athens, and his purpose was to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was a learned man. He studied under the great teachers at the time. He was a doctor of the law. And yet when he got to Athens... The philosophers, and I want you to pay attention to the word. Remember that word. Who is this babbler? Very strange word in, in the Greek. Who is this babbler that has come our way? And so I want to give you just a little bit of background concerning the Epicureans and the Stoics, uh, two leading uh, philosophers at the time. There were others also. But I want you to see the word philosophy, the simple text. The word philosophy, the study of man's thinking about the meaning of life. And yet we desire godly wisdom. Godly wisdom that we receive from God's word as the Holy Spirit teaches us. But listen to this quick background. Epicureans, they lived for pleasure. We hear that today. In other words, me, myself, and I. Who cares about anybody else? And in, in reality, that's a lot of people in the United States of America. The Stoics, they believed all happens by fate. Just accept it. And there are those that believe that philosophy today. Well, I'm not going to die, Pastor. What are you talking about? And if we die, we just go to the grave. There's nothing else. We're going to stand before our maker. And we're going to have to give an account to that maker, which is Christ. We'll stand before Father God and, and basically one question, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ, that he sent to die on the cross to give us life, life eternal? Now, I, I really got intrigued by the philosophers at the time and uh, let me give you a little more background. Uh, Athens, Greece, uh, the home of uh, Paracels, uh, that was one of the philosophers. Another one, Soc Socrates, we've heard of him, Demotheus, and Plato. But yet they only choose out these two, Luke the physician as he writes. And so when we speak of Athens. It was the center of philosophy. Listen to this. It was the center of literature, the center of sciences, the centers of the arts, and the place of the greatest university of the ancient world, the meeting place of the world's intelligentsia, it's called. But they were given over to idolatry, idol worships. Scholars believe this was Paul's uh, poorest reception of the gospel. And I don't know if I agree with that. Because even if one person hears the gospel, that's a success. That's a success in Christ. But there were those that said, Paul's poorest reception of the gospel. But for Paul, the most exciting task yet, I believe, Paul, more than anybody else, knew and understood the Greek thought and the Greek culture. He understood that. And I say for Paul, it was a challenge. But yet you have to remember something. Paul is filled with the Spirit. 
Paul is not filled with the wisdom of man, and yet he had the teachings of the wisdom of man. But he's filled with the Spirit of God. And so let's begin here in verse 16 and, and just to begin to break it down. Uh, again, the philosophies of man or the wisdom of God, we have a choice. And so he begins in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked, it was moved within him. When he saw that the city was given over to idol worship or to idols, and so Paul's waiting. We know that uh, he was taken by those in Berea uh, to Athens, basically. But he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. How long, we don't know. But enough time for Paul to evaluate the city. And notice that Paul's spirit was provoked. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. I get provoked when I see sin. I get provoked when I see uh, people that are living together and they know better. I get provoked when uh, it's blatant sin. Now, sin is sin in the eyes of God. But unless the Spirit provokes you, uh, you just go on with life. And so Paul was provoked within, uh, within inside of his spirit. He was stirred up. Uh, The Greek says he was stirred up, and the Holy Spirit obviously did this. There was a churning inside of Paul. And if I can use the phrase, Paul's guts, they ached. Because he saw firsthand uh, the people of Athens were heavy into idol worship. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. In Athens, it was covered in idols. There was a contemporary writer uh, at Nero's court at the time. His name was Petronas. And mockingly, listen to what he said. This statement got me. That it was easier to find a god, small g, in Athens than a man. Radical statement. Now, I want you to leave a marker there and flip back with me. We have to study this. Go to the book of Exodus, and let's go to chapter 20, and verses 1 through 6. This is just the first commandment of God, and he speaks about idol worship. Now, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments pertain to God, and then the last six commandments pertain to man. Very important when you study the Ten Commandments. People say, well, we're not into the law anymore. Uh, You know, Jesus came to fulfill the law. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's still vital uh, today. And we need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And so Moses pins the first commandment uh, of ten. The precedence that he begins, I believe God starts this, obviously, as he gave the Ten Commandments. Why does he start with idol worship? Because he knew the children of Israel, they were going to learn these tasks, and they did in Egypt, but they carried it on. And as you go through the Old Testament, you see it over and over and over. But again, maybe you say, I don't have statues at my house, Pastor Bob. I don't have pictures of Jesus on because I don't know what he looks like. But an idol is anything that takes the place of God. And I can't fill that blank in for you. Only you can. Look at verse 1 now, Exodus 20. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, where basically they learned idol worship. 
In verse 3, you must not have any other God, small g, but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. I, I think that covers it. Well, you know, this is a, a, a statue of, of Saint so-and-so. Uh, this is a statue of, of Jesus. First of all, how do you know what Jesus looked like? Because you, you go to Ireland, he's got red hair. You go to Africa, and he's got a fro. <laughs> you go to Mexico, and he looks a little more browner than normal. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so what is Jesus? Imagine going to heaven, and then you've had this Jesus on your wall. You walk in, hi, I'm Jesus. No, you're not the guy on my wall. Be careful. Those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Notice, do not make any kind of idol or image, anything in the heavens, on the earth, or to the sea. Verse 5, but he says, you must not bow down to them or to worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other God, small g. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. And he says, the entire family is affected. Even children in their third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Radical statement. And then he says in verse 6, but I lavish. I lavish. I bask in, uh, you know, unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. What does God want from us but obedience? Back when we studied in the uh, the book of Deuteronomy, when we're on Wednesday nights in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 27, the curses will come because you're disobeying God. Uh, the blessings will come in, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28 if you're obeying God. I have one desire, and that is to obey God. And in that obedience, we're called to worship Him and to praise Him. You can't go wrong. I'm still going to go through trials, and you're still going to go through trials. But obey God as he gives you his word. Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And, and so here's Athens, and can you imagine? And Paul's going to deal with the unknown God next week. But idols everywhere. Look at verse 17. Therefore, as he goes into the synagogue, the marketplaces, this is what Paul did. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers. And now he adds the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Paul always made a beeline to the synagogue. But here's the case because Athens was much bigger now. They had a marketplace. And so Paul would go to the marketplace, and there's where the people would get together. There's where the uh, radio talk shows would have been. There's where the TV talk shows would have been. And so the news traveled fast. And so here's Paul. Paul's practice was always to preach wherever he could get an audience. Here in Athens, it was both in the synagogue and in the marketplace. And what did he do? He always reasoned. As he was in Thessalonica, he reasoned with them. As he was in Berea, he reasoned with them. And I like that word reason uh, in the Greek. Uh, Paul had a discourse with them. Paul dialogued with them. Paul debated with them. Paul disputed with them. 
And what did he dispute? What did he dialogue? His custom was always uh, to prove, listen, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he is the Messiah. He was born. He lived for 33 and a half years. He died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. And there was a 40-day post-resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. And then we see in the book of Acts chapter 1, the ascension of Christ into heaven. He goes back to his rightful place at the right hand of majesty. Now I want you to pay attention. We're going to cover this later in another, another verse. But here in verse 17, I wanted to bring forth here at the conclusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. I've ministered long enough. Pastor Jay has ministered long enough. Some of you have witnessed to people uh, for a time. Not everybody receives the message. Not everybody. Because uh, we're a free moral agent, we can choose. You don't want to receive it? Uh, Jesus said it's like casting pearls before the swine. He says, kick the dust off your feet and move on. There's somebody else that wants to hear it. But listen to this verse again. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I hope and pray you're not the same you were last week. I hope and pray you're not the same you were last month. I hope and pray you're not the same man, the same woman that was last year. You see, we grow in Christ. We should be growing in Christ. No more baby stage. We should be desiring the meat of the word. And because I'm receiving the meat of the word and I'm, I'm taking in the nourishment of the meat of the word, I'm ready to share it with others. Don't hoard it. Give it away. Give it away. He's, it's not going to run away. He's going to fill the cup up again. And some of you know and understand exactly what I'm saying. When you share with somebody, they're ready to hear it. Or they're ready to reject it. And then you don't want to shut up. You just keep talking. That's the Spirit of God working in and through you. Not everybody desires to hear the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, here in Athens and still today and in the 21st century, obviously. The cross is an offense. Look at verse 18 now. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic uh, philosophers encountered him. Speaking of Paul, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Underline the word babbler because it's very important. What does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be proclaiming uh, or pro proclaimer of, of foreign God, small g. Because he preached to them. Here's the reason it was foreign. Because he preached to them. Jesus Christ and the resurrection. The philosophical system abounded in first century A.D. Among the most notable were the Epicureans and the Stoics. Yet we mentioned others. Now I'm looking at my, one of my Bible dictionaries and there's so much on this topic of the Epicureans and, and also uh, the Stoics. But I'm going to just give you a nutshell. Uh, Epicureans were followers of 
Epicurus, obviously, 341 B.C., 270 B.C. The Epicurean philosophy was a system of atheism that taught men to seek their highest aim, a pleasant and smooth life. What did they want? The pleasures of life, and don't bug me. And whatever's going on around me and it's foul, I'm like the ostrich with my head in the sand. I don't care. But yet, we see it in the time of Athens. It's still here today. Listen to uh, what one commentary said, that the Epicureans, they have been called the Sadducees of Greek paganism. Now, uh, my Bible dictionary speaks about the Stoics. Stoics were a sect of Greek philosophers at Athens, so-called from the Greek word stoa, uh, means a porch or a portico, uh, where they had been called uh, the Pharisees of Greek paganism. And so you have the Sadducees of Greek paganism uh, and the Epicureans, and now you have the Pharisees uh, of Greek paganism and the Stoics. Now, the founder of the Stoics was Zeno, who flourished around 300 BC, B.C. He taught his disciples that a man's happiness consisted in bringing himself into harmony, listen to this, of the course of the universe or nature. And we hear that today. I, I just want to reach out to nature. I, I just want to hug that tree because he's God. I, I just want to lavish this bush over here because He's God. You see, they see it everywhere. And I've heard these topics. Uh, they were trained to bear evils with indifference and so uh, to be independent uh, of eternals. What did they hang on to? Materialism, uh, pantheism, and, and fatalism. Materialism, the pleasures of life. This is what I want. Pantheism, listen to this. Everything and anything is God. And then fatalism, speaking about chance, speaking about luck. I'm not going to worry about it. Yet the Bible gives us a way of escape. It's interesting. None of these believed in God. And where, where, where's the main sin? We go back to Isaiah chapter 14. What was the downfall of Lucifer? Pride. What is generally our downfall? And I'm speaking of myself. It gets in the way. Pride. And I hate it when pride comes into the picture. He rises his ugly head. And God gives us love and compassion and grace. I want you to notice now that uh, these philosophers, they encountered Paul the Apostle. They encountered Paul the Apostle, and they, they wanted to nail him, basically. The Greek word here, they encountered him. They consulted him. They disputed with him. It can even mean, now listen to this, the Greek word encountered can mean that they attacked him, or I believe more because there's no physical attack. They attacked his teachings. They called him a babbler. Others were more pleasant, if you may. Well, let's take time. What does this babbler want to say? Uh, listen to the Amplified concerning the word babbler, and, and then I'm going to give you the Greek rendition. Uh, what could this idle babbler with his scrap heap learning, 
have to say to me? Yet Paul was a learned man. The Message Bible is very, very uh, sometimes hard to understand because they really go into it. But the Message Bible, and he starts off and he parenthesizes, sarcasm. What does this airhead have to say to me? And that's sometimes the philosophies of man. You see, when I try to witness to somebody, I try to share with somebody. Maybe I start with handing a track, and, and you can see it. If they say no and they're blatant, I don't push the envelope. I back off. You don't want it? I'll let it go. A good friend of mine years ago whipped out a track, and he gave it to the gentleman, and he goes, what's that? It's a gospel track. Is it about hell? And he says, yes, it speaks about hell. He was lighting up a cigarette. He takes the track and he lit, lights it up. He goes, that's what I think of your track. And he threw it on the floor. And my friend was irate, ready to, ready to punch him in Jesus' name. <laughs> but he said, Lord, help him. You know why? My friend said this, I was there one day. I was there one time. I did that. Maybe not burn a track, but I didn't want to hear it. And some of you understand exactly what I'm saying here. Listen to the New Living Translation, again, concerning Paul be, being called a babbler. What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? The New Living Translation leans towards the Greek because the word babbler, it's interesting because we understand, well, quit, quit babbling away, you know? But the word babbler in the Greek, it means a, a picker up of seeds. That's the translation in the Greek. Or one who picks up seeds and, and takes them elsewhere. It, it's a description of a bird who gathers his seed everywhere and then he drops a little here and he drops a little there. And so Paul was this babbler who gathered scraps of knowledge from everywhere he, he went and thus he pretended to, to teach the word of God. He just gave what others gave. A little seed here, a little seed there, a little something here. And, and, and let me share this with you. Uh, there's a lot of Christians like that. Well, I don't like that church, and I don't like that pastor, and, you know, I'm going to take a little from there, and I'm going to take a little from there. You know, we have a free will. But don't take a little from that church or a little from that pastor. Take a lot from the Word of God. Take a lot from the Word of God. And so Paul is dealing with a group of people. Why did the philosophers call him a babbler? Look at the bottom of verse 18. He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, small g, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. This was foreign to them. Listen, uh, to uh, Paul proclaimed the Greek word here for foreign God's as foreign demons. You can actually translate this God, small g, you look up in your lexicons, and it can be considered a demon. And so they said he proclaimed foreign demons. And basically, they would have understood the logic, and so this was strictly forbidden by Roman law and by Greek law. The problem to them was Paul Preach Jesus' death and resurrection. Crazy. 
because they didn't want to hear it. Listen to one of my commentaries. Uh, some derided Paul because he did not communicate with the philosophical necessities uh, popular in Athens at the time. And so they called him a babbler, just another seed picker. However, in essence of the message, it got through to some that Jesus and the resurrection. When you study the resurrection, because without the resurrection, Jesus is not God. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole chapter, years back I did four studies just on 1 Corinthians 15, the power of the resurrection. Paul said, if there be no resurrection, you and I, men and women, were most miserable, were pitied. You come to church, you get up early in the morning, you drive over, and you come and hear this preacher, the worship and such, and then they're going to receive the offering. If there be no resurrection, it's, it's worthless, it's, it's miserable. Every time you pray, every time you read, Every time you witness, it's all in vain if there is no resurrection. You see, many have claimed to be deity. Many have died, but only Jesus rose again from the dead. I, can, I am convinced in 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. Trust me, you cannot get 500 people to confirm anything, let alone 5 and 10. You know, a couple Months back, Mary and I were leaving the ball game. It was last year. And uh, we come over here to uh, Travis, and then we're coming out. And the traffic's kind of crazy there. And you have to be careful. You got housing over here, you got a wall over here, and cars are coming. And boom, right in front of us, car got smacked, and they went spinning away. Well, a lot of people jumped out to help and all this, and then uh, police were coming, fire department were coming. Anyway, Mary and I walk, drive away after it's all over. And then I go, wasn't that crazy? And I said, man, did you see that blue truck? She goes, it wasn't blue. It was red. Oh, no, 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 it was blue. I saw it. Here's two people, husband and wife. I know my wife. She knows me. We're not agreeing in the color. So I'm thinking, the police officer comes. What did you see? I, you better ask her. <laughs> 500 witness the risen Christ. 500 witness the risen Christ. Now, I want to take you back to that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, this time verse 19. The message of the cross is foolishness uh, to those who are perishing. But we who are being saved know it is the power of God. Look at verse 19. As the scripture says, and he quotes... From Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligentsia of the intelligent. These were the philosophers at the time and still today. Still today. I want you to listen to a beautiful psalm. I never forgot this psalm. In Psalm 8, verse 4, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you're mindful of him? Uh, Paul picks it back up in Hebrews chapter 2, verse uh, 6. What is man that you're mindful of him? Listen to one of the translations. Who is puny man 
that you even recognize him. I've been in the ministry long enough. I've been a pastor long enough. And I can honestly tell you, you come to grips with that from time to time. Lord, you, you love me, Lord. I, I understand that, but I don't grasp it. Why? Look who I am. I'm a sinner. Lord, I disobey you. Lord, I frustrate you. Lord, I'm not what I'm supposed to be, Lord. And yet, he loves me. And he loves you, no matter what you do. That's the irony of God's love. That's agape. Agape love is always giving, never wanting anything in return. God loves me, and, and I cherish that, and he loves you also. But yet the psalmist says, and the psalmist was struggling with it, who is man that you're mindful of him, Lord? We slap God in the face, and he still loves us. We take his laws off of our walls that were created back in, you know, when our ancestors came in. And God still loves us. Churches disobeying his law, and he still loves us. But one day, judgments will come. Look at verse 19 now. And they took him, speaking of Paul, and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Were they sincere or were they mocking again? This Areopagus, and it's, listen to the word, it's the Latin form of the Greek word rendered Mars Hill. Now we all know Mars Hill. Where the consul or the court of justice which met in the open air on this particular hill. It was a rocky height in the west of the Acropolis of Athens which was on the southeast summit, of which the consul was held, which was constituted by Salon. Now, this Salon was a statesman, a lawmaker. He was a poet, uh, 638 B.C., 550, or 558 B.C., 558. There you go. Mars Hill is very popular. Even today, they still speak of it. it it's not in existence, they tell me. But uh, Salon here, at this time, it consisted of nine chief magistrates who were then in office. On this Mars Hill, Paul will deliver his memorable address, and we'll get to that in, in verses 22 through 31. You men of Athens, and he speaks to them. Now, I believe some were sincere. Notice that they said, may we know what this new doctrine is. Here's the question. Was Paul brought to Mars Hill for trial? We don't see it. Or was he brought to Mars Hill for inquiry? Inquiry. Listen, this was not the poorest time of evangelism. If one person is evangelized, the victory I learned my I learned my ministry years ago. When I was back home in Southern California, uh, giving Bible studies, going to prisons and jails and such, and never intended to be in the ministry, I, I was working a night job. So there was a an opportunity at our church. A lady called. She wanted Bible study, and they knew that I was working nights. So they said, "Bob, would you like to go? You and your wife." I go, "Yeah." So we went down to 
from La Puente, where I live, to El Monte, about 10 miles. And I was all excited. Got the Gospel of John. I'm all ready. And I walk in. A daughter opens the door. A son is there. So I'm going to give Bible study to the family. Well, the kids took off. The husband's at work. I figured maybe an aunt and an uncle. Nope, it was just this lady. She had cancer. She was dying. She had received Christ. And she called the church. Can you send somebody to give me a Bible study? Because I want to know who Jesus is before I go to heaven. Oh, I, I started to murmur and complain. Lord, I, there's only one, Lord. Come on. You take care of that sheep. We never finished the gospel of John. She passed away, went home to be with the Lord. It's not the numbers, church. It's the souls that God brings there. And even if nobody gets saved, you plant a seed. You plant a seed, a good seed, not like they were accusing Paul. And so what was going on at Mars Hill? <laughs> the Holy Spirit was working in and through Paul. Look at verse 20 now. For you are bringing some strange uh, thing to our ears, they said. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. And that's good. Remember that old saying, inquiry minds want to know. I want to know. And I tell you, I couldn't put the Bible down. I hope and pray uh, you could not put the Bible down. Albert Barnes, one of my favorite uh, commentaries, he said, literally, Paul was bringing something fresh, uh, something unusual, uh, something remarkable, something different from what they had been accustomed to hear from their philosophers. What a truth. Notice they are asking Paul that we would understand more clearly what is affirmed and then respecting, I believe, Jesus and the resurrection. And so I've often said this. If we're sincere with God, he will be sincere with you. If I'm playing games, you're playing games. You see, I learned this way back in the day when I was going to uh, various prisons and jails. That's where I met uh, Pastor Mark Massiel. He wasn't a pastor there. Tehachapi State Prison. When you take the word of God to inmates, that's why they're called cons. You can't con them. They know if you're sincere. They know if you're fake. They know if you're just there, you know, maybe trying to get something in your portfolio. I mean, there's chaplains there sometimes that are not saved. You can't fool God. You might fool man, but you can't fool God. And so there were some there in the camp of the philosophers or those in the marketplace or, or those in this Arabopagus here, this Mars Hill, and they were sincere. They want to know, and that's good. Look at verse 21 now, the conclusion. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there, they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear uh, some new thing. Some new thing. Tickle my ears. Make me feel good. You know, when you go to the circus and you say, okay, we want to see something fresh. We want to see something new. Here he comes, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to put his head inside the lion's mouth. I saw that last year. Now, if you say uh, he's going to put his head in the lion's mouth, now you've got to lose it. All right, I haven't seen that. 
That's human nature. No, I don't want to see it. I'm just trying to use an analogy here. <laughs> now, many were searching. Many were searching for new things or newer things as if it was something new. In other words, becoming presently stale, some were craving something fresh, something new. The description of the Athenians' character is abundantly attested by their own writers. And we're going to see that next week. These philosophers, they were lost. They were lost. Even though they had their credentials and such, they were lost. We try to hook into the philosophies of man. It's not going to get you. Now, we, we need all the education we can get. But it's the wisdom of God that's going to sustain us. It's God's word that's going to sustain us. One commentary said it was the novelty of Paul's message that earned him the invitation to this Mars Hill, this era, Apagas. But listen, here's my take. These Greeks... Like many today, they lusted after the latest fad, the latest from uh, Europe. Look at our United States, whatever comes from Europe. And then, you know, it came from Paris. I, I, heard my, I have four girls. I, I heard it all the time. They were always frustrated. Dad, by the time it gets to Las Cruces, it, it's already dead. Then we go to California, and then we try to share with them. Oh, we wore that last month. That hairdo was last month. <laughs> It's interesting to me. Fads come and go. Yes, they do. Now, some of you are old enough, but remember when the guys wanted to have that Elvis look, that duck tail? Everybody wanted to drive a, what was that? that Steve McQueen, he drove, you know it. The Mustang, yeah. Got to have a Mustang. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Chevy boy, man. I don't need no Mustang. And... I couldn't do it. My hair doesn't work that way in the 60s, okay? But I remember everybody wanted to have that beetle look. I detested the Beatles because they took all the girls away. <laughs> and then Carol remembers. <laughs> uh, everybody wanted that Michael jo Jackson look. My, my cousins, little guys, they all had a, a, a white glove. I go, what are you doing? We, we mimic, we copy. I think it's important that we understand the gospel is to set us free. These guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's a passage, I want you to read it. We're not going to cover all of it, but remember Joseph sold for slavery, sold off to the Egyptians by his brother. They were jealous of him. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he finally gets to meet his brothers. And they know they're fearful Joseph's going to have us killed. He's second to Pharaoh. Listen to what Joseph said in verse 20, Genesis 50. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people's lives. There was a great famine in the land. And Joseph was there. He built the silos up, made the pharaohs rich. But 
Jacob brought in 70 strong. And when they left, 400 plus years later, over 2.5 million, and that's being generous in the great exodus. You see, whatever happens to you, whatever happens to me, it must first filter through the hands of God. Be it good, be it evil. But they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. I love that he chastens those that he loves. We're not finished with the philosophers at the time. These same things are happening today in our United States of America. We have a choice. The philosophies of man or the wisdom of God. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. We'll ask the Lord to continue to pour out his blessing. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We stand in awe of your promises. Your word, Isaiah said, will not come back void. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, the psalmist says. Your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, the psalmist says. Lord, you desire to write your word on our hearts. And so, Father, go before us here this, this morning. Bless and anoint and pour out your spirit. Lord, if there's anybody here that's never received you, is there anybody here that's in a backslidden condition, a prodigal son, prodigal daughter, daughter that is? Today is the day of your salvation or, or the day you come back to your first love, which is Christ. And so, Lord, speak to the hearts. Let your spirit to, uh, to prick the heart. Lord, we ask blessings upon each and every one here uh, this morning. Thank you for the work uh, you've done this weekend, Lord. Lord, we ask you to bless the offerings now as you've given, them, given to us. We give back a portion, and it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.